Welcome everybody to the PFF College Football Podcast and happy Thanksgiving. Um, of course, I already had my Thanksgiving a couple months ago, so um, I will be uh, working my butt off during your peaceful off times for a lot of you guys. But uh, if you are listening at work right now um, or something like that on a commute or something like that, hope uh, we can we can you know brighten up your day a little bit um, with my guest Bill Connolly from ESPN talking college football. Bill is, is the numbers man. He really changed um, what I think a lot of people think about analytics in college football when he started doing his thing. Um, yeah, who knows how long ago that was, maybe a decade ago at SB Nation and now at at, um, at ESPN. So we talked a lot about uh, college football, honestly. Like we just talked about teams we liked you know, this season, teams we didn't like. Uh, you know, went into some stories about the past. Uh, he, we, honestly, we had a little bit of soccer talk. Um, because he writes a lot about soccer now for ESPN. Um, so a little bit of that. And, you know, just, you know, teams we like, teams we didn't like, players we like, players we don't like. Um, and then some stuff that he's learned in his time uh, that's kind of changed the way he sees the game now that he's, um, you know, immersed in the in the matrix and all he sees is like the green numbers flash in front of his face all the time when he's watching college football. So we talked about that. Um, so I hope, you, I hope, you know, wherever you are in the world, um, uh, whether you are celebrating Thanksgiving today or you're not, um, that, um, you get some, get some enjoyment out of, uh, out of our discussion. I think it's a good one. Um, a guy who really knows the ins and outs of what's going on in college football right now. So, uh, without further ado, here's Bill Connolly. All right. I am joined now by... Uh, staff writer, college football writer for ESPN, Bill Connelly. I'm sorry, uh, Bill Connolly. <laughs> uh, Bill Connolly uh, from ESPN here to talk uh, all things college football. Bill, welcome to the PFF College Football Podcast. Welcome to the nine-year-old's playroom in the <laughs> in the search for internet in this house. Uh, this might be my best bet, so we're going to give it a shot. It's been, I guess, I guess everybody in town's home for Thanksgiving, do the, doing the, all the responsible things, and therefore using all the internet. So, yeah, that's that's why I think what we're going to do is I'm going to I'm going to pick out toys, and you're going to have to play with them on camera, and we'll <laughs> have like a review system, and we'll get it done. There you go. All right, give me, yeah, okay, let's, yeah, let's, maybe let's not get into this. <laughs> um, okay, actually, before we start talking about college football, there was actually something I wanted to talk to you about. Now you've, you've kind of a, a dove uh, into soccer numbers. Oh, yeah. And um, so my question is, so I'm, I'm 32 years old. I started watching soccer, let's say, when I was like 18 you know, basically when you could watch soccer on TV or at least the mm. Premier League and the Champions League on TV in in North America. Right. You know, my, my dad always said he was a Tottenham fan because he went to that you know, part of London when he in the 70s. But it's like, you know, you, now you grew up in Montreal in, 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 in North America. It's like, they're not, you can't be a soccer fan. It's just not on TV. So like, you know, people of our generation are lucky because there we, we we finally got it in our you know for me in my early 20s uh you know late teens so anyways point is what I, why i'm saying that is because i got to see a lot of really a lot of manchester united wins in my life right um in that in that in that time period you know and now unfortunately when i watch manchester united i don't see a lot of the same wins so what i i just want you to tell me like 
is there any hope that we see a Manchester United that is that is that is that team again that is competing for the Premier League that is competing for Champions League titles? Like, is anything that's telling you, yay, well, we're gonna do it? I mean, they're among the competitors like obviously uh they don't they haven't had their act quite as together as you know liverpool and city have these last few years but i will say i mean they are among the teams that could that at any point could uh put together a challenge and honestly i mean they've clearly saved most of their best performances so far this year for the champions league so uh you know it's looking good in that regard it is i mean to you said earlier like the idea of needing to see a team to really be able to root for them. It, it's my soccer fandom came about originally because I went to England with my mom in like 1994. Um, basically the last time Nottingham forest was any good, but they're named Nottingham forest and they had pretty red jerseys uh, you, and I bought one and I was, I was officially time, a, a Nottingham forest lifer. And that has rewarded me like not even once in the 25 years since um, and then a few years ago with a friend of mine, I went to a Sheffield Wednesday match at Hillsborough and got to experience that. And that was awesome. So I kind of got sure. attached to them. They're about to fall to the third level this year too. So really all the writing that I've done over the last few months where I've jinxed the ever living hell out of everybody I've said nice things about, it's just been a life of that. And I apologize to anybody who I, I, I take a fancy to in that regard, because it's not going to work out well for you. All right. So well, I messed up right off the bat with you. Now uh, Manchester United is going to lose a whole bunch of games. Yep. But again, I'm used to it the past few years. So, um, all right. So let's get into college football. The playoff rankings came out uh, when we're recording this last night. I mean, you'll hear this on Thursday morning if you're listening to it. Um, I told, I said, you know, I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get angry. I'm good. It's the first week. Things there's, you know, you know, Oregon and USC have played three games each. Like there's, I don't need this to get angry about this in my life. And then the more <laughs> my friends started talking to me about it and they got angry, I started getting angry. And then I kind of blew up a little bit about um, what the committee said about Iowa state, but we'll get into that in a second. Um, I guess from my perspective, first of all, who like, like who I, I can't, I'm sure you're the same way. You don't want to get angry about this because things are going to shake out. But if you were to get angry about something, what is the number one thing you're kind of miffed about uh, with the rankings? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a college football socialist. I think people understand that at yeah. this point. Um, I'm always going to get mad that the, the best G5 team is about five spots lower than they should be. Yeah. Um, just because of you know, college football, I, I don't know every sport in the universe and how all their playoffs work and everything. But of all the ones I know of in the United States, in soccer, around the world, this is the only sport where half of a, a, a title eligible, so to speak, uh, set of, or the half of the teams that are supposedly eligible for the title have no chance at a title, not even because they aren't as good, but because the system won't let them have a shot at the title if they, even if they play at a title caliber level. And so, I, I mean, it's funny because by the time we had, we saw that Cincinnati was seventh, like that's awesome. That's five spots higher than UCF was at the at the end of the two uh, of the 2017 race when they were clearly awesome and clearly held back by the fact that you know ain't played nobody. Um, I was already so mad about BYU being 14th that I didn't care that Cincinnati <laughs> was seventh. It's just it's so discouraging because yeah. we this is 2020. There are a lot of really like we we have ways to evaluate teams 
I've spent the last 13 years of, of my life basically preaching the gospel of, you know, it's not who you play, it's how. And we can learn something from every single game. We can, there are predictive systems well beyond just mine uh, that are very good at telling us how good teams actually are. And then the most important opinion makers or opinion havers, I guess, in this sport, um, just look at BYU and harumph and say, ain't play nobody. And that's it. They're done. Like then not only do they have not have a shot at the top four, they probably don't have a shot at a new year six bowl because they, they had scheduled six P five games and they all got unscheduled in uh, August when everything fell apart. And then that's it. That's the only reason that they're not going to be able to live up to the ranking that basically every computer has them at that. They are a top 10 team. They are definitively top 10 team on the field. Uh, but because all their good games got canceled and they had to scrounge around to literally find teams to play, they're 14th and they really probably aren't going to get any higher than that. Like that's just, it's just discouraging. We have better ways to do this and we just, and we proudly defiantly choose not to, but I guess that's, I mean, that's been college football since about 1883. So what, I mean, why would this be any different? Yeah. And I think BYU just, I mean, it's exactly what you said. It's like, this is the schedule that was put in front of them. It, it yep. was not the schedule that they wanted to play. Uh, it, it, it is weaker than that. We understand it. But besides, I think the Texas San Antonio game, it's been just, they've just rolled over everybody. Yep. And I think they, and I think offensively, at least I, I think they, they can match up with, with any of these top teams because the offense, the like structurally, um, you know, the, the middle of their offense from the offensive line to the quarterback position is as good as you're going to find this year in college football. So like, they're, they're clearly good. And, and, and it's funny because, you know, Ohio State's fourth. They haven't yeah. done anything either. But we just, we just, well, of course Ohio State's fourth. Well, well you know what I mean? Like, we're, we're, yeah. of course Ohio State's fourth because Ohio State. Well, BYU's been... Um, I wouldn't say BYU is better. I actually think Ohio State's the best team in the country. That's a whole other discussion. But, um, but yeah, anyway. So, but I think what you said is that's why, you know, all these these predictive measures and stuff like that is why I got so upset when the committee came out last night and said, "Well, Iowa State is where the thirteenth. Yeah, uh, we like their run game. Now, first of all, that could be just a thing. <laughs> that could be just a thing. And I, and yep. I made the joke on Twitter where, you know, if if Sometimes I'm on these radio interviews and I, and I try and prepare as much as I can, but at the same time, if I'm talking about a team that I, that I don't know that much about, you know, I'll, I'll go on, you know, we have a huge database here at PFF and I'll go on and I'll be like, uh, yeah, you know, like I wrote like, well, West Virginia, they run a lot of formations. Like that's cool. And it's like, yep. it doesn't tell you anything. So when, the, when, when the committee said, well, we like Iowa State's run game, it's like that we should be evaluating if that is how they're evaluating people and it has something to do with whether you know how we feel about the, the modern run game in in the football landscape it's like we can't be judging people on like a feature of their team yeah we got to judge them on the whole thing and and maybe ohio state's still 13th in that measure i don't know but that that oh it bothered me it bothered no, it me a lot it does. I, I wish, um, I, I, I mean, this is, this seems backwards, but I wish they wouldn't explain their picks at all. Yeah. Cause it gets um, worse. Because every time, <laughs> because every time they do, I, I, I have less confidence in the process. And, and here's where I, I, you know, you said it at the start, like in the end, they are, they've made what, I guess, 24 
the six playoff years now for yeah started in 14 so they've done this six times they picked 24 teams for the playoff i haven't disagreed with any of them at, right. at the end of the day you know either i've agreed with them outright or they would have been the ones i would have picked or they were at least extremely justifiable like you know um, like 2014, picking Ohio State over TCU or Baylor. I mean, you ha- you could only pick one, and so any of them were were justifiable. I, I grade pretty easily, and so they've gotten all 24 more or less correct. Fine, just don't show. Just don't peek behind that. Among other things, don't give us. Well, no, wait. I'm I'm employed by ESPN. Give us the give us the weekly rankings. Uh, let us you know react to those and talk about them. But they don't instill confidence in the process at all. Um, and it just, in the end, they get the top four, right? Because the top four are pretty easy to pick at the end of the day, which, which is a whole, maybe, maybe an off season discussion about where college football is. Um, cause I made a joke early in the season, like, you know, when, when we didn't think the big 10 or the, yeah or the pac 12 was going to yeah. play. And I made the joke like, well, it's going to be, it's going to be hilarious. It's going to be so different this year when it's, you know, the playoff four is Georgia, Oklahoma, Alabama. And Clemson, which hasn't turned out exactly like that, but it's close enough yeah. that you know, with that, and that's what college football is, which is, which is, uh, I think it's a little unfortunate. I just want to see, like, I don't know how, how you feel about this. I just want to see good games. <laughs> I just want to. I know it's so stupid, but it's like obviously. But I just want to see good games, and I understand like the money involved doesn't doesn't allow for that sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it really is. I mean, this would be. I'm not the only person who's been saying this forever, obviously. So it's a pretty obvious point to make, but um, you could solve all of the, the whole, nobody, not, not everybody has a shot at the title, et cetera, et cetera. You can solve it all with an 18 playoff. Just, Boom. Yeah, like know. five conference champions, make sure that like a G five is in there. I realize this, none of this is going to help BYU this year. Cause they wouldn't get one of the top eight spots, I guess. But um, so there's still that issue, uh, but you could solve so much by just making sure that everybody's got a pathway uh, make BYU eligible for the G five title. I don't care. Just make sure everybody's got a pathway to one of those eight spots. Um, you got a couple at large bids still in there and then you know, it plays out. And and if the G5 team loses by 80 every year in the one versus eight game, which they absolutely wouldn't, but if yeah. they do fine, that's like the one sixteen games in the NCAA basketball tournament are, are, are just part of it. It's in, in, in and we love them. Yeah. I mean, we, we watch them, we watch them just in case it doesn't, yeah. it isn't the blowout. We all watched Virginia lose a couple of years ago. Um, like that's just part of the makeup of the tournament. Uh, if the one versus eight game is a blowout because the G five teams can't really carry their weight, you know, they couldn't handle an sec team or whatever. Well, fine. Then the sec team gets a buy into the second round more or less. And, and it, it, everybody still ends up okay here, but it would be more money. It would be more everything. It would include everybody more or less. Uh, it would, it, it's it's a, such an easy answer, and and again, we proudly, defiantly refuse to do the easy, better thing in college football. And and well, I wanted to bring up like Cincinnati in that regard because they would be the team. Like if, yeah. if this was the scenario, it would be Cincinnati this year most likely. And and I made the case for for BYU's offense being structurally sound at the important positions. And I think with Cincinnati, it's like, well. Again, have they played a, a team with SEC receivers or, or Clemson's receivers, Ohio State's receivers? No, but but every team they played, they have dominated from yeah. a from a pass defense standpoint, and they play man coverage. 
Like yeah. if you can just play man coverage and, and again, <laughs> it remains to be seen whether they can do it against these top teams, but they've shown so far that they, that they can, uh, I guess everyone they played, if you can just play man coverage and you can play against anybody in the country. Yeah. And then on the offensive side of the ball, the past five weeks, I don't mean, I don't know how, uh, what they look like on in SP plus, but Desmond Ritter has been awesome. The past He's five weeks, awesome. the offense, the offense has been rolling. So I, I don't know. They, I, I just give them a chance. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, do you have any thoughts about Cincinnati like that? Oh, they're awesome. I mean, the defense, they casually brushed aside Army in the middle of all these other, you know, they're in the AAC. They've played SMU and Memphis and Houston and UCF and East Carolina. Only one of them scored more than 17 points on them, which is insane. But in the middle of like early in the season, now granted, I mean, it was the second game. They just played Austin P or whatever. So that's, I mean, I'm sure they were able to prep or whatever, but just in the middle of all these other games, they just destroyed Army's offense. Um, armies, you know, not the best, uh, or not the best army offense this year, but, but army and, uh, they handled that, that assignment with no problem whatsoever. And then they went back to playing man coverage and dominating everybody yeah, the normal exactly. way. It's insane, but you're right. I mean, the last, let's see, 42, 49, 38, 55, and 36 points the last five weeks um, for Cincinnati with that defense. That, I mean, they're, they're awesome. They are, I, I've been putting them forth uh, the last few weeks in my, you know, the end of Saturday, we make our, our just our top four playoff picks each week. I've been putting them forth, and I'm part of that's me being stubborn and, and antisocial and all that, I'm sure. But give me Cincinnati in, instead of you know, if if instead of like Notre Dame Clemson, um, you know, number one, I think Cincinnati's proven more than Clemson has so far. Now, Clemson probably catch up to them in that regard, but whatever. Um, they've proven more than Ohio State has so far. They've just they've proven enough to to have a shot at the title, and if uh, and if there's not a spot available in those four teams for them, there should be more than four teams. Uh, who who is I should have looked this up before. Who is number one right now in SP plus? Alabama. Um, they yeah, okay, they and Ohio State have been dancing back and forth the last few weeks, and then um, since uh, since SP plus isn't really a fan of Indiana's, um, like tr- they're just twenty seventh. Yeah, um, yeah. I the, the fact you, that Ohio State struggled. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the fact that Ohio State struggled against them, Alabama, and Alabama most certainly didn't struggle with Kentucky, um, that that allowed them to... So I think they have like a two-and-a-half-point cushion now or something pretty close I, to that. I, I just watched that because I was curious to see because Mac Jones has graded super high for us. Uh, oh, yeah. All but, all but the Kentucky game, actually. Um, and I was curious. And I, I thought... So my thing with Kentucky this whole season was I like everything they do. They're yeah. just like probably not good, good enough, I guess, and right. especially not good against against Alabama. But they do some interesting stuff on defense, and it, they and and they drop two picks. Yeah, I mean one one could have been one was on the line of scrimmage. He could have, you know he, he makes breaks tackle. He's gone. He's gone. And one was on a deep pass. And the the question I have for Alabama is probably and listen, they haven't been stopped by anybody, but because of the way I saw Mac Jones play against Kentucky, it's like if you're gonna play this deep passing attack offense and especially it's very different than like when you look at like average depth of target for a Mm -hmm. lot of these college teams if you take out like the triple option teams like army navy air force (laughs) who are always at the top obviously uh you see teams like uh like ucf right and this vertical super like these super spreader socially distant teams um and but they're not like you know, they don't have a quarterback like reading out the play. It's like, Hey, it's, I I love watching it. Like I watched Dylan Gable the other day and it's like, he's like, 
I'm going to, I'm always going to look to one side and the safety is going to go there because they have to respect my eyes. Right. And then before I'm even finished my drop back, I've already turned my back foot and I'm throwing the complete opposite direction right. <laughs> down the field. And we're going to take a shot one-on-one and that's on Alabama. Alabama's deep passing, but it's all, it's more intricate concepts down the mm-hmm. field. Obviously you have Sarkeesian coming from the NFL and, and even his days at USC, um, you know, running more of a, you know, quote unquote pro style offense. So like, I think that would give me a little pause, you know, if once they have to play against a good defense and maybe Georgia's defense isn't that good. So, <laughs> sorry. I, yeah. They've certainly not. Uh, again, it, it's my fault. I talked about them in the, <laughs> over the, in the pantheon of recent amazing defenses. And since then they have Absolutely not been that since the, but, the, what is it though? Since the halftime of the Alabama game. Yeah. 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 yeah and I mean the Mike Leach thing, I mean, that, that is kind of like uh, you know, Mississippi state last week. That's kind of like defending the triple option and that like how yeah. you do it against that isn't necessarily indicative of how you do it against everybody else, but there's no question. I mean, well, if for, they are I'm one sorry, of the I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because Bo Pelini proved you wrong because how you do it in the first granted, <laughs> granted. That's exactly how you play the rest. Uh, of the season. I know, exactly, but I get it. I know exactly what you're talking. About. I think you have, I've said this before in the podcast, you got to treat these Michael Leach offenses and there aren't, there aren't a lot of them left to tell you the truth. Right. All, all, right. Of the guy, all, all his guys have become something completely different, mm-hmm. uh, but you got to treat them hundred percent like it's yeah, something completely just, different. I, yeah. I saw Missouri, like, I mean, I, I still live in Columbia, Missouri. I still go to Missouri. No, well, not this year, but, um, you know, most of the time, if I'm around, I'll go to the Mizzou home games. I saw the way my, uh, Mizzou basically patented the defending Mike Leach of, you know, backing off, trying to hoping that you you can get a pressure with four, yeah. uh, dropping eight and or dropping seven or eight and all that stuff. I mean, that's exactly what Barry Odom did with Arkansas a few weeks ago. Um, I mean, that's been the recipe, but that didn't mean they were good at defending everybody else. They were just, uh, they, they knew what their plan was against uh, Texas Tech, and they did it really well. Well, the, you know, the funny thing about you talking about that with Arkansas, Arkansas did that uh, a few weeks later against Texas A&M. Yeah. Texas A&M was able to protect it. Right. Kellen Mond, clearly a better quarterback than than whether it's Costello or Will, Rod- mm-hmm. Will Rogers. So Will Rogers has looked kind of okay in uh, in his little limited He's time. A freshman. Yeah. yeah, exactly, right? So I think that they'll they'll like to develop him there. Yeah. But like now it's like, okay, well, now I have a team, probably, you know, better receivers than Mississippi State. And if you can protect it, and now Mond and, or whoever's playing quarterback can just calmly go, you know, not be yeah. – not be like, oh, well, I got to go with the football because it's part of my timing and everything. It's like, right. no, the timing is different. Yeah. Um, uh, when yeah, I felt, you do that. I yeah. felt bad for Costello because it really was like step two, step one of, of playing Mike Leach quarterback is yeah. to torch a good defense that thinks it has a good read on you. Step two is to play a much less talented defense yeah. uh, that drops eight into coverage and just screws with your timing and you panic and you think you've got to throw when you don't. And, and what you it, it, like, every quarterback has to clear that hurdle too before they can become a good Mike Leach quarterback, except uh, Costello never did, apparently. Yeah. And like, and like, that's what um, the three last quarterbacks of Washington State were kind of able to do. When I watched, yeah. you know, Anthony Gordon last season, he had played with zero timing. But it was like kind of like, it, I, I, and I don't say that as a negative. I, I think that's a positive in that offense. He would drop back. He would look around. He was chilling. Yeah. Like it was, it was very different. Um, <laughs> so, but, well, you, you know, you talk about Missouri. So let's let's give me the ten thousand foot view of of where Missouri is now and where you think they they. Their, their path is in the future 
Um, I mean, I've been pretty impressed with with Drinkwitz this year. I figured I would be. Um, I mean, he's yeah. he's never really shown that he doesn't know what he's doing. But um, you know, the I, I, the way they've been able to manufacture some wins, um, you know, you know, engaging in a shootout with LSU one week and then basically just playing, you know, a rock fight, a tilt the field and wait against Kentucky. And then that worked, you know, the fact that they won those two games back to back, like they're playing different sports, I thought was a pretty good sign of, of him just being able yeah. to manage games and whatnot. Cause that's, that's all they're able to do this year. The offense, the, the offensive line has, has been hit by injuries and I, I assume COVID and everything else. Uh, they haven't been able to run the ball very well. Uh, so they've just been able to, like, if we can do this, we're going to do it. Otherwise we're just going to play field position and wait. And, and they've done a good job of kind of bouncing back and forth. They looked like on the road against t- Tennessee and Florida, they played Tennessee at the wrong time. Apparently they should have waited until Tennessee had collapsed to play them. But, uh, they obviously didn't have much to offer in that regard, but the fact that they're three and three right now, even though they're probably not as good on paper as I thought they were going to be, I think the way they've manufactured those wins is a good sign. Like he, you know, they're going to get more experience. I like Basilak. Um, a decent amount. His receiving core is not great and has been, uh, you know, hit by, you know, random absences too. And so there's been no consistency there, but he's looked good at times. He throws a pretty vertical ball. Um, and assuming that Drinkwitz is around long enough to recruit and, and get the guys he needs, then I would assume this is going to be a pretty decent team. Uh, so you mentioned Tennessee. I don't think like, so I put them, it was kind of like, kind of, I didn't believe it fully, but I put them in my like top five, I put them at number five in my like SEC power rankings mm-hmm. to start the season. Yeah. And I kind of don't think I was like, I think a lot of people believe that to assume, maybe not number five, but at least in the top half. Yeah. And not. And they, and they, they started off looking like I thought yeah. they would. That was the weirdest part. I mean, they, um, we're talking about halftime of Georgia games, how that flipped Georgia season a little bit. Well, they, they survived South Carolina, which whatever. I mean, that, that wasn't an amazing performance, but they looked downright good against Missouri, especially on defense. Um, you know, it, it helped them that, you know, Basilak hadn't, you know, he was, it was Sean Robinson starting at that point and, and Tennessee was up 14, nothing when Basilak came in. So that helped, but they still, they made red zone plays. They ran the ball really well against what has turned out to be a, perfectly fine run defense that Missouri's got. Um, they looked like I kind of thought they would, they were in the twenties. I think at that point in SP plus that made sense to me. They let, they obviously late in Georgia at halftime was kind of a fluke because they had like one good drive. They scored on a fumble. They scored on a one play 30 something yard, uh, touchdown drive. Like they weren't going to win that game, but they got d- the way they lost that game appeared to just suck the soul right out of their body. Cause ever since, um, 34, seven to Kentucky, which looks worse every single week. Um, you know, not really having anything to offer against Alabama, not really, you know, blowing the second half of the Arkansas game as well. They actually looked better against Auburn. They should have beaten Auburn, but you know, they had the pick six, like Auburn had one good offensive play. Oh, and get some me red started about the pick six. That, that was um, about that pick six. They were my, I have a post game win expectancy number, which is basically takes all the things that go into SP plus and says like, you know, based on all the stats of this game, you would have expected to win X percent at a time, 60, 65% for Tennessee against Auburn. But that's the first time it, since Missouri game that they've been over 11%. They've just, they lost four straight, just Boy. completely comprehensively. They fell from, let's see, 22nd to 65th in SP plus before jumping back up to 61st after the Auburn game. <laughs> so like, I, I don't know. I don't, I, it really, it, it 
when stuff like that happens, when you respond so poorly to setbacks it, and, and when it, this happens over multiple coaches and multiple times, like it, it, it's a culture thing more than anything else. They just, there's no belief that they can win there. And, and, and it doesn't appear that Pruitt has really changed any of that. I, I, I've talked to some people and they, they seem to like Pruitt as a person. So I guess I'm kind of rooting, uh, uh, you know, there are probably a lot of people who, who aren't good people in the college football world. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and they seem to like, uh, Pruitt, um, like personably. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyways, but, um, who are, hopefully this, that we can, I can transition here to a different conference, but who are the, and, and if this is an SEC school, that's fine too, but who are the, give me a team that you think is worse than, you know, maybe their, their, their record states and a team in the, in the P5 that is better than their record states? Um, well, I mean, this is, this is easy pickings, but Northwestern isn't the eighth best team in the country or whatever. Whoa, 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 whoa. College football uh, ranking. They are uh, the number, you're right, they're the number one team in the country. <laughs> hey, resume-wise, because um, they have one of the only quality wins in the sport this year, but... Um, I mean, that's a, that's an obvious one. Northwestern either wins close games and and wins their division and wins 10 games or whatever, or they lose the close games and they like last year and they, uh, they go three and nine. They just oscillate between the two. Um, they have one way to win games. All the other top teams can win in multiple ways. They can win 17 to seven. Like that's the way they win games. And, And, And yeah, go on. No, no, no. I just, I mean, their defense is, is truly awesome. Like truly I, I, awesome. I, I, I hate to say bad things about Northwestern. Cause I know the whole team isn't bad by any means. The, the defense is smart and adaptable and, and they can win in more than one way uh, against different kinds of offenses. But even this year, even, uh, you know, the fact that Northwestern's offense has definitively improved with Mike Bajakian and, um, Peyton Ramsey, a quarterback, they still can't run the ball. Uh, They're still just relying on, uh, you know, trying to make more third and seven completions than you make. Um, And that's not going to cut it. They're not going to beat Ohio state. They're not going to beat any other top. Well, they don't play any other top team this year. So, um, you know, good for them. They're going to end up with a good record, obviously, but they're just, they're, they're not, they're, they're not the eighth best team in the country as the college football ball rankings suggest um I, and, and again that feels it feels very obvious to say all that but i just you know I, for I, sure I, I, I think my thing with them as i looked up their coverage is i looked this up the other day but i want to make sure i'm on the right page here but um because i you know when i rewatched the game against wisconsin i thought it was a good you know good game plan against wisconsin um just based on what yeah. wisconsin is uh, and and then there's the whole thing about how maybe Mertz is not the guy we thought he was after we, I think he will be right. He's still but, a freshman. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. So like, I think he will be, but I think we overrated uh, him against uh, an Illinois team that didn't know how to cover anyone at all. Yeah. He but, wasn't really asked to do much against Michigan either. So it really was the yeah, major. He did, and, and I can tell you, he didn't Illinois. grade very well against Michigan either. It was like, it was like a middling grade, but it wasn't that 90 plus you know, right. 21 catchable targets out of 21 right. that he had against, <laughs> against Illinois. So yeah. So Northwestern, what they do is they don't, it's different because one of the issues is like we talked about Cincinnati man coverage. And if you can play man coverage in football, you can just right. win games on defense, right? If you just right. match up <laughs> one-on-one, you, you can, you can stop a team. The thing with, with Northwestern is, and they know they don't have the players for this, obviously, 
you yeah. know, in the Big Ten, who plays man coverage? Well, Michigan and Ohio State. Guess guess what they do? Maybe not maybe not Michigan anymore, but guess what Ohio State has is like great coverage corners, at least in, in, in maybe not this year, but in years past. Um, Northwestern, 143 snaps of quarters, uh, I guess plus cover six. So like, you know, 160 snaps of like two high zone mm-hmm. and 108 snaps of cover three zone and only 17 snaps of man coverage. So it's like, hey, we know who we are, yep. but we play it. We're so good at it. We're able to to adjust to, like you said, to any team we're playing uh, from that too high look. And, 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 and what I didn't realize is how good they've been year to year to year on defense. Yeah. It's really just been that offense. I mean, last year was was uh, an abomination offensively <laughs> and at least they're at, at least they're better this year the quarterback yep. can play um the tackle is really good even though they lost the other tackle um to an opt-out but but um they're good uh, so i uh, sorry i want to move to the big 12 quickly mm-hmm. i've been saying the whole year and look this is not anything crazy but i've been saying the whole year that even after the two losses oklahoma's probably far and away God, yes. the best team yeah and uh, am i right in, in thinking that the oklahoma is still yeah yeah i mean the, the okay well that post-game win expectancy number i just talked about yeah. against kansas state oklahoma's post-game win expectancy was 64 percent um so that i mean two two out of three times they win that game even with all the big play explosions late um, they still pr- probably should have won that game by three ish points. The Iowa state game was a true loss. I mean, 14% win expectancy, uh, should have been more like a 10 point loss. So that was a truly legitimate, uh, setback. Um, so at that moment, they might not have been the best team in the conference, but then as soon as they get Ramondre Stevenson back, as soon as they yeah. get, uh, Ronnie Perkins, Perkins back, yeah. if they weren't by then, they absolutely are now the best team in the big 12. Um, and, and I mean, they're hammering a good defense last week. Yeah. I mean, being able to control, and obviously, you know, whatever happened with Spencer Sanders last week, yeah. um, you know, Shane Ellingworth just kept coming in and throwing lobs to nobody <laughs> that wasn't going to work. And that made, <laughs> oh, that made OU's job pretty easy once they were able to stop the run. He but, came into the game. Ellingworth came into the game. And so he grades, he grades better than Spencer Sanders. Now it's only like two games as a starter. And right. uh, he's obviously a young kid. And so we've been saying, me and me and Anthony Tresh on this podcast have been talking about how, yeah, especially Tresh, Tresh is like, hey, you got to start the right quarterback. You know, Spencer Sanders, he's not, you know, he hasn't really developed in the type of guy they want him to be. So Illingworth comes in, they, they they go down the field and score a touchdown, mm-hmm. I believe, on the first possession that he's in the game. With a very key course, penalty, but yes. Yeah, okay. So, of course, they got to get on the Twitter machine and talk about how right you were the whole time. This is the quarterback. They finally they, – look what happens. And uh, obviously, it was an injury to, to, to Sanders. I think he got concussed. Um, uh, look, look uh, how smart we are. You got you to gotta listen to us here at PFF. And then, he, then, he, then I don't think he completed a pass after that first drive. Three for six uh, in the first quarter, two for 15 afterward. So there were a couple in there somewhere, but don't ask me where. Um, yeah, I mean, Sanders is still just kind of, uh, he, he still makes dumb mistakes. That's his biggest thing. His upside's obvious, but he's just not kind of reining in the mistakes very well. He still gets angry. He's still a, an emotional guy who makes emotional mistakes. And and that happens in college football. But, uh, re- but regardless, like whichever quarterback was in there, they combined, they went 15 for 40 passing with four sacks. Um, OU still doesn't have just a ton of girth up front. Their, their, their run defense is infinitely better and, and extremely disruptive, but they still give up big plays. They still there. It's, it's, it's a merely good run defense. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but they're, they are coming closer and closer to fulfilling Alex Grinch's kind of ideal all or nothing with, with more alls than nothing's kind of defense. They're up to 28th in defensive SP plus, which is, I got to look it up. It's it, it, what 2016 was probably the last time they even sniffed the top 30, maybe 17, but probably 16. Um, and I mean, they're just, they are, they, they were close to the best team all along. Now they definitively are the best team. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson has made all the difference in the world in the backfield. They just, they're, they're really good. And if they don't lose to Kansas state, they're a very, very interesting playoff contender. Now, when you think about the, the personnel changes and how good they look now, that'd be a, kind of an interesting, it'd be interesting to see if they were fifth or sixth or seventh. Uh, or, or I guess maybe eight, if they don't lose to Kansas state, if they've only lost to Iowa state with a shot at revenge here yeah. in a few weeks, that's a very interesting case uh, to make, but they lost to Kansas state. The fact that uh, the fact that they're ahead of BYU with two losses is, is total insanity. But anyway, uh, well, so th- they're going to get, I would say have probably one of the biggest wins. Uh, they look really good statement wins. I, I would say, really good. and it's like, so, but I think the run game plays into it, um, which is talking about like, should they play Oklahoma again, which it looks like they probably will mm-hmm. um, in a couple of weeks. Oklahoma could not, you know, Brees Hall was like insane uh, mm-hmm. in, in that, in that Oklahoma game. Uh, and now if, if they can actually deal with the run game a little better, because yeah. what happened against Kansas state, um, what I understand, what, what I think happened was, well, Iowa State goes off on the ground, and now you don't have to let Brock Purdy be this superstar quarterback, which yep. unfortunately he has turned out not to be. I don't think um, he's been. He was great as a true freshman, and then it's the the play has been play was not great uh, last year. Though they asked him to do, they asked him to do a lot more heavy lifting, right. um, a ton more dropbacks um, as a, as a true sophomore. Which, like, yeah, I get it. You have a great kid as a freshman. You want him. You want to put the ball in his hands. It didn't work out. And he's been really just up and down um, this season. Now you, you, you let him just play action, throw the ball yeah. down the field. And he looked really good against Kansas state. I think there's, so it's, so it's interesting if that model, if they can do that yeah. <laughs> against Oklahoma, all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden they're, they're the big 12 champions. But if Oklahoma can shut down the run game, uh, like you're talking about, and now you're putting the ball in Brock Purdy's hands, I'm yeah. not entirely sure. My biggest concern with Iowa State was their their receiving core is basically brand new this year. They had Charlie yeah. Kolar still, but uh, and, you know, and the wideouts. I think he missed some games early. If I'm yeah, he missed the he yeah. missed the Louisiana game at the very yeah. least. I know. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he it's uh, he's not amazing, but he's fine as a tight mm-hmm. end. Um, but he was like the only uh, continuity there. Xavier Hutchinson. I don't remember what his line was for uh, against Louisiana, but it was really bad. Like they were begging him to make a play and be the go-to guy. And he just, he wasn't ready to do it. He started to become that guy. Like, I mean, as Purdy's job has gotten easier, yeah. the receiver's job has too. And I, I still remember a quote from that, uh, from the broadcast team in that Louisiana game where uh, Billy Napier was just saying, and like, well, we looked and we watched the Big 12. Nobody plays man coverage in the Big 12. We figured, you know, I think we can take these receivers. So they played man coverage and shut down Iowa State's Big 12 yeah. receivers with their yeah. Sun Belt D backs. That was a bad sign. But um, but I do think Hutchinson has improved and Purdy's job has gotten easier and, and they're much more dangerous. So, I mean, yeah, that is a good way of looking at it. Oh, he's better than they were the first time they played Ohio or Iowa State, but Iowa State probably is too. I like that they play Texas this week. That's like a, a perfect middle ground test. Texas uh, defends the run well, per, you know, 
pretty well at least. Um, and they could put Purdy in those kind of uncomfortable downs and distances. Uh, and, and, you know, we, I don't completely know. I don't have as good a feel for Texas's offensive identity this year. I'm not sure they do either, but, um, but they are a good team, a, a top 25 caliber team. And if Ohio, if Iowa state plays against them, if I can stop saying Ohio state, if uh, <laughs> Iowa state plays uh, Texas, the way they played Kansas state, they'll win by a couple touchdowns. Uh, and that will set up one, a hell of a big 12 title game. I just, it's a nice little step up and we'll see if they can handle it. Texas, man. I just like, and, uh, you know, Ellinger, Ellinger was my guy to start the season because he graded really well last year. Um, and, and not as an NFL prospect, I don't think. But, you know, you know they right. throw the ball. It's like play action, you know, run the ball, play action, throw the ball down the field. And, and if you hit those routes and you have to be a good, you have to have good enough accuracy to hit those routes, mm-hmm. uh, you're obviously going to grade well. And you're going to, and, and, and I thought, you know, things come out better than that's a Heisman contender that hasn't happened. His grade is like 75 this year, which is a huge drop off. But I think there's a lot more, like you said, they don't know anything about what they have either. Yeah. And unfortunately it's going to waste, um, it's going to waste Ellinger's last season. I guess guess anybody could come back. I guess anybody could come back next year if they want to, but I figure most, most of the seniors will probably be gone. I'm sure he will be too. They had a little turnover in the receiving court too, but it's funny. That was huge. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like Jake Smith has done most of the things I thought he could do. Uh, Probably not as many big plays as I expected, but he's been fine. Um, Joshua Moore has been explosive at the very least, not the most consistent player in the world. Um, But yeah, they just don't seem to have, they, they, bringing in your such made a lot of sense just from the perspective of yeah we know what we're good at we can't really throw deep so let's bring in a guy who has a really good vertical passing game and poof we're a complete offense yeah. but it hasn't really worked out that way the run game hasn't been nearly as good as i expected it to be um the kind of quick efficiency passing game hasn't been amazing and 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 uh, yeah the, the completion rate's not good the efficiency is not good um it's just not what i expected so you know uh yeah i'm pulling up the his ellinger um his his uh accuracy because we obviously chart um right accuracy and let me see if there's anything big difference yeah a drop off in the short game that's for sure about six percent less accurate in the in the short game because he was actually like like that was the thing it's like you know you have this vertical passing offense and you're able to hit these shots down the field but you're also not missing underneath. Right. So like, you're not putting yourself in, 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 in worse down and distances. And yeah, you're down the field, you know, 10% less, basically less accurate. So it's been everywhere. It's, it has. Yeah. Been good. I, yeah. And it's funny too, because um, like, I, I never loved the Tim Beck hire. I understand Tim Beck's limitations and uh, it felt like he was just kind of a security blanket for um, Tom Herman as a whole. Uh, and then last year they were like seventh in offensive SP plus or eighth or something like that. Like things clicked at a very, very high level. And then he makes a change. Um, I, that, that, so I know, I know. that part was right. And again, like the, the, the vertical passing wasn't all that great. Um, but they had a very good offense with a, you know, converted quarterback as their backup running back. And they, it, it, it just, it, it was a weird time to make a change as opposed to like two years ago. Um, and it hasn't, it hasn't made them better this year. All right, might as well get to the other two um, uh, P5 conferences. So um, 
Pac-12, my thing, my thing for a while has been, nah, it's probably over, honestly, because of the what the rankings just showed yeah. us. But my thing was always like, they need an undefeated USC versus an undefeated Oregon yeah. in, in the title game to like show that both those teams are, A, both, both those teams are good, and then one of them is better and good enough right. to play a spot. But that, uh, it's not going to happen anymore, right? Yeah, I mean, they'll... <sighs> I mean, they'll jump BYU. We know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like they, uh, yeah. I mean, they just don't have the schedule. Like if they're, if, if USC's 18th now, they'll rise for beating Colorado, Washington state and UCLA because those three they are power conference be, teams. They might not be Colorado. That's my, I, that's my take. <laughs> I'm very curious. They finally looked, they finally looked like good, sustained good against Utah. Yeah. It would make sense if now they take a step backwards, but yeah. um, I hope not. That's my guy. I've been talking so much hype about Keaton Slovis and that offense. So I hope they do to make me look good, but yeah. Oh yeah. Like, no, I, I mean, it's more that I like Colorado. I think the quarterbacks played really well this year. So I'm I, that's, that has surprised me. Um, yeah. I wrote about them a couple of weeks ago, just like anytime you have the quarterback turned safety going back to quarterback, <laughs> that sounds terrifying. Yeah. Um, but uh, admittedly against UCLA and Stanford, UCLA's offense seems like it really might have itself together. Not necessarily the defense. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had good plans and they've executed those plans. And um you can't ask for much more than that out of the gates, but yeah, we'll see. Like uh, USC did finally look sustained good. Maybe they'll continue that. Um, But but yeah, I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to jump 14 spots for beating Colorado and UCLA and, and even Oregon. Like that's just not going to. Yeah. It's like even, even more specifically what they need is that conference title game, but then Oregon to win it because they will have played at least a slightly more difficult schedule than yeah, Washington. Seen. Washington could still turn out to be good. So if you right, beat, exactly, yeah, yeah, because um, they, I mean, they looked underwhelming the first game, but outstanding the second. So maybe that carries forward. And and they beat Washington. They beat USC. They look really good doing it. Maybe they can get to like sixth or seventh, but that's such a jump. I, I would be surprised <laughs> if they got to fourth at this point. It, it's such a weird thing because this happens every year where the first few games of the season happen and then we overreact to everything and then things play out but it's like there's not enough time for things to play out this year right. it's going to be really weird or or it's going to happen very quickly uh in the case of like wisconsin or something like that and then okay right. finally in the big 10 you know we haven't really talked about ohio state um oh sorry we we, we hit the acc too we don't have a lot of time here all right <laughs> give me give me give me uh give me uh three four words on the entire big 10 is Kerry Coombs a good defensive coordinator? All right, so here we go. I love talking about Ohio State's defense. Ohio State, they, so with uh, Halfley last year, and maybe this is a Ryan Day thing, you know what I mean? I don't know how much control he, he puts uh, right. on himself into the defense. Obviously, he, r- he runs the offense, but you never know how he is as a, as a head coach. You know, so Halfley was running man coverage, man coverage, man coverage, and yep. then showing it one high safety we are playing man coverage and then that's all we're doing and they can get away with it because and for years they can get away with it because of how good the corners are um they don't have the corners this year though i guess it kind of remains to be seen um what seven banks and jeff akuda can do and but they're doing the same type of thing i mean i'm sure someone who has more intimate knowledge of ohio state can tell me the differences but you know looking at more of a ten thousand foot view they're doing a lot of the same stuff so I was concerned, and you can read about this on pff.com because I wrote an article about it, but I was concerned 
after you know you see the the score that Indiana puts on them, and Michael Penix was incredible in the second mm-hmm. half under pressure and doing all that stuff deep deep down the field. I was like, uh oh, they can't play man coverage, and if they can't play man coverage, then they can't go toe to toe with Alabama or Clemson. Right. Um, unfortunately, that's those are the only two teams because everyone else yep. can go do it with. Yeah. But then I wa- then I rewatched the game and it's busted zone coverages. So yeah. I'm like, oh, this actually tells me I'm not less worried about them. Yeah. I, I Well, I, yeah, I went back and I, I looked at uh, specifically, uh, I think there were 10 completions of uh, wherever I set the bar, 15 plus yards, I think. Yeah. Um, it was like six. Uh, I think it was like six against zone and four against man or five and five, something like that. And a couple of the games against man were unbelievable plays by, right. um, by fry right. So it's like, okay, well I, that's going to happen. So I, I realized like where the curve is that I'm yeah. grading with here, because I mean, a lot of that was Indiana just making plays um yeah. and that they probably wouldn't make again and their success rate indiana's was like 36 percent, which isn't good it meant they had to make those plays to even have a chance um so in that sense it's good in the other sense i just yeah you can't beat alabama uh unless you have like because they're going to make those plays too and so i don't know like it, i am concerned it, they, they, coombs has been kind of interesting this year again that like against nebraska he didn't play much man i don't think um he it seems to be just like a thing he only breaks out when he needs to um but you know obviously penn state at least until for a little while in the second half didn't provide much resistance at all and their run defense is good um but yeah it's just i i've gotten a bunch of different impressions and i'm i'm concerned in that regard just because i held them to such high regard and they're not hitting that bar right now yeah, that, uh, that I'm 100% on the same. Like concerned, obviously, but also, but also they're Ohio State, and they'll be yeah. in the playoff. And then it's they've a got, yeah, game. they've got three warm up games in Northwestern yeah. before the playoff. They'll probably be fine. Yeah, they'll be they'll be fine. Okay, ACC quickly. Um, I think this this has a chance to be uh, I don't, pretty tough to tough to top Clemson Notre Dame and how fun that was. But whoo, Notre Dame North Carolina has a chance to be wild. And I, and I just hope for all the chaos in the world in that game. <laughs> all first-time depositors and Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free, free PFF Edge annual subscription. So that's a $40 value, value for just $20. And you'll get that opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy football and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the USA in monkey knife fight go to monkey knife fight and deposit your twenty dollars with promo code pff today to receive your free pff edge annual subscription pff and sunday night football's chris collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field 49ers all pro cornerback richard sherman the chris collinsworth podcast featuring richard sherman is available now wherever you find your podcast they will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every week and sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. 
MooseFit is a premium online workout program and remote coaching service that provides you with daily workouts based on your goals, the time you have available, and the equipment that you have at your disposal. Purchase your MooseFit membership and a MooseFit coach will reach out to you with a questionnaire. Based on the information provided in the questionnaire, your MooseFit coach will either assign a pre-made program to you or will create your custom program for you. No two programs are the same. MooseFit is well equipped to help provide you with daily workouts that will help you reach your health and fitness goals. For PFF listeners, use PF, use code PFF50 and receive 50% off your first month. For more information, check them out on Instagram at moosefit or on their website, www.moosefit.com. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience together, we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, investments. Yeah, Notre Dame is starting to give up a few more big plays than they were at the beginning of the year. And guess um, who makes a lot of big plays? North Carolina offense. makes all the big plays. There are yeah. two teams, I looked it up, there are two teams uh, in the top 12, two power five teams in the top 12 in both my success rate measure and my marginal explosiveness measure, which just takes looks at the successful plays and, and measures the magnitude of them, basically. Um, and it's Alabama and North Carolina. Those are the two teams that are both high-level efficient and high-level explosive. So... Clemson, obviously, with Trevor Lawrence, maybe it's a different story, but they, the North Carolina offense that Notre Dame is facing is better than the Clemson offense that Notre Dame faced um, with without Trevor Lawrence in there. And they can do whatever you don't cover. That's 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 the biggest thing for them this year. They can get they can stay ahead of the chains. They can um, move the chains with quick passes to the perimeter if if that's where they find the numbers. They can run the ball if you don't have the right numbers there. Uh, and then once you get stretched side to side and 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 uh, you don't know you know where you're at, then they hit you deep. Um, specifically, Deami Brown hits you deep, and yeah. it's just a really good offense. Question good, for me man. in this game obviously is: Does any of this matter if they can't get the ball from Notre Dame because Notre Dame? Is, is just you know eating up nine yeah. minute drives by running the ball down their throat i um honestly the, the truth is i wasn't sold on on sam howell after last season because mm-hmm. i was like you know and I, i'm a huge fan of what uh, of his offense of phil longo's offense uh, oh, yeah. and, and he's made quarterbacks who probably aren't yeah. great look pretty good mm-hmm. and i was like all right now in the back of my head, I was like, you know, well, he was a true freshman and he did, and they did put up a lot of yards and, and he did great very well in our system too. But yeah. I was like, ah, you know, the offense, <laughs> all this RPOs, it's like easy read, stuff like that. But, and, 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 you know, the, it's not like they changed offense so much um, this past year, but what I keep seeing, and it's hard to deny with him is like, he is so accurate. Yep. It's like, well, if you're just that accurate, you can play. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what else. I don't know what to say. If you're accurate, you can play. Um, and then the offense, you know, puts that floor. That's a pretty high floor. And they've been, uh, man, they've been awesome. And they do stuff like, man, they, they threw a, a touchdown. I forgot to who uh, he was in the slot. And it was um, against Wake Forest in the game where they, yeah. <laughs> wow, they could, could be stopped. Yeah. But it's like, you know, they're running an RPO and the nickel who was playing over the slot blitzes. So he's free because they're, you know, the run came is going the opposite way. Right. And they tried to drop the, I guess the mic 
to where the where the slot was and that's mm. just, that's where we took takes it all the way across the field for a touchdown again a predator receiver but, oh yeah 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 so um but like you're running this and you know if i'm coaching quarterbacks and you know i, I used to do that and i was very good at it but if i'm telling them i'm like hey you know the the, the nickel blitz but that that from an inside position that Mike replaced them and you're running, you know, a post or, you know, a glance post, a slant route into that window, like, dude, hand the ball off. Like that, <laughs> he, he took that window away from you. Yeah. But like, he's like, you know what? I know that that player, if I wait a tick longer, yeah. is not, can't cover my guy across the middle of the field, especially when I see the safety split and there's a middle of the field open. So I'm going to wait a tick, tick more. That nickel came. He was free. He made a great throw um, behind that linebacker who had, who had dropped out. And yeah, anyways, just a huge fan of, of, <laughs> of, of, what, of what he does, what North Carolina does. And I'm, and I'm becoming a huge fan of, of Sam Howell. And I'm just hoping, like I said, hoping for just a great game yeah. um, between those two teams. Yeah, if it's not, it's because the North Carolina defense just couldn't keep up. But, yeah, that's that's uh, But yeah, well, if, if, if we if we get like you know just talking about Notre Dame in general, if 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 we get an uh, Ian Book who is the Ian Book of the last two weeks and not the Ian Book of the first fifty games of his career, yeah, then th- this is a I would you say this is a true national title contending team? Yeah, I mean, that was the thing about the Clemson game. Like, obviously, they didn't face Trevor Lawrence, and that helped. Uh, you know, as good as, I mean, they have baby Cam Newton as a backup. That's not a bad place to be. But it was at least a little different. And, um, uh, you know, the the simple fact that, you know, they were, you know, they got the early lead, and then nothing worked for a long period of time. And it really did kind of feel like, oh, yeah, we're still, we're still quarterbacked by Ian Book here. There's not going to be... But then that last drive of regulation where he's like, well, if, if you, if you ever have a title caliber run in you, you got to start it right now. And they just go straight. They just slice straight down the field and they don't go for two because they know they're just going to keep right on scoring in overtime. And then they keep (laughs) right on scoring in overtime. Like that was Uh, I will say a lot of people have said that and it hasn't worked out the way it did. Right. Right. No. And it, it it did. They were just perfect from that point forward. And then, you know, being able to outlast Boston, college the way they did i'm it, it, we're in a weird place where i'm becoming a little less confident in their defense but a whole hell of a lot more confident in their offense at the same time um which is fun that's that's the ratio i want in a in a team and in every single playoff game but um so like yeah i mean i think this is at the very least this isn't 2012 this isn't was it two years ago was it 2017 or 2018 when they when they made the playoff and got stomped by Clemson? Yeah. it's not that um, they are better than that. I don't think they're better than Alabama. Uh, assuming yeah. we know where Ohio state ends up in a month or so. I don't think they're better than that, but as far as being a playoff team and playing, I'm playing a game. Ball, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Playing a competitive. Yeah. Game I think, they're, I think they're better. Yeah. yeah. And again, if, if Ian book is that player and he's not throwing drag routes the whole game anyways, right. uh, <laughs> uh, I wanted to get into some stuff like more big picture stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think you are, I'm sure you're not the first, but in my life, you're like the first guy who really like took, took the role that, 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 that you're like the head analytics guy in, in college football. I, maybe you don't like to be called that, but you are for me. Um, so just like where, so when you grow up, you're watching the game like everyone else. And we have these ideas of what football is and now that has changed a lot. I mean, you can still watch games, have fun. I'm, I'm sure you do oh, yeah. like I do, but 
things, the way you watch it must have changed? Is that possible through all the work that you've done? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, what's the, like, so I think the couple of things that I think have really changed for me is, is number one, the whole idea of efficiency and staying on schedule, like as much as you hear that as a coaching trope, like I've, I've been able to see just how big a deal that is. Um, and even early, and that's something you watch, that I find myself watching early in games. Like, yeah, okay, so they they drove down the field and scored on that uh, the first possession of the game. That's great. Uh, they you know they they needed three third and eight conversions to do yep. it. That's probably not going to stay. Yep. That's probably not going to. They're not going to maintain that for sixty minutes. Um, being able to watch that and understanding kind of what I'm watching for in terms of just push at the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, understanding what that that's another kind of early sign, even if you're moving the ball well, if you're not getting a push, if, if the, there are a bunch of defenders in the backfield again, like maybe you, it's like, um, the perfect example of that is, uh, the Oh four national title, the OU USC national title game. Um, I remember Oklahoma scored a touchdown on the first drive, but like it felt like they were, it was just magic act after magic act to get the ball down the field because USC was everywhere and they were all over the backfield. And so that was, I remember being kind of conflicted about, it. I was rooting for OU. I don't remember why exactly, but I mean, I'm pro- sure. like, I have, I have, I have friends who uh, I grew up in Oklahoma. So I still have friends mm-hmm. who, you know, when they do well, it makes them happy. Maybe that was the thing, but I remember watching that first drive and going, okay, they scored. Uh, I don't feel good about this at all. And, um, and then it was what 51 to seven, I think the rest of the game. So like being able to understand kind of what to look for early in games, I still kind of watch it. I feel like I watch games as a fan. I see a whole heck of a lot more on rewatch, like just watching it live. I'm still kind of, you know, every time Missouri's quarterback dropped back to pass, you know, I kind of, you know, I lose vision a little bit, but, um, I do do a much better job of watching those things and then kind of understanding how the rest of a game will flow and not just, Hey, they scored. So they're going to score on every drive. It doesn't work that way. But I think like with me and let's say I take LSU and as an example, or even like the saints, it's like, I want, I want to be emotional when I watch those teams, like, cause it's fun. This is, this is what we're at the end of the day, we're trying to have fun watching football. Um, and then, but like, you're right, like the rewatch changes your whole view of yeah. everything. Like, like I just talked about with the Ohio state thing, it was like, Oh, I thought this happened. And that's why Indiana scored all those points. Right. And then you, and you go back and, and rewatch it. Um, and in your whole life changes, like your whole idea about the right. sport changes, uh, on the rewatch cause you can rewind and do all that stuff. Yeah. That's um, been, um, my soccer too, to bring it back to soccer for a second. Like I, we have a true media tool that I use and you can watch like every instance of, every goal scoring opportunity with better than 0.1 expected goals or whatever. And like so, I, I can do that with, with, with the PFF stuff with right. our, with our database, but that, that sounds awesome. It's, it's really cool because like, uh, like everything as primitive as I still feel like I am on the football side, mm-hmm. I'm extremely primitive watching soccer live, just kind of, I understand how, where the ball is getting stuck. If like, you know, Yesterday, PSG versus RB Leipzig. Leipzig was trying to mount a late comeback, but the PSG just dominated the numbers in the midfield, took the ball back from them every single time. They couldn't get many good chances at the end. Like, I understand that watching that live. But when you break things down into little chunks and watch like every scoring opportunity and realize like they always, when they created something, I was about to say that it's this combination. And like when you see that, it's phenomenal and it opens your eyes big time. These like, I'm sure I'm not the only one who calls them this, but these like transition sports, mm-hmm. like like basketball, soccer, hockey, yep. 
um, as opposed to football, which is like completely different in the way right. that, that, that the game moves. It, you know, we, we, we believe in this like free flowing nature of these sports. And it's like almost not true because the yep. same patterns happen time mm -hmm. and time and time tennis. again. Tennis, tennis is the same way. Go. Like you watching live, you're just watching guys hit back and forth, but then you realize, you know, Djokovic is hitting it into the backcourt back corner on every other shot, basically. And you're trying to hit a forehand 70% of your time. You're hitting it like 30% of the time against him. And you just, you start to see patterns of play after a while. Yeah, that's, and that, the, for me, watching hockey, you end up seeing the same, mm. you know, I watch a lot of hockey in my life. And, and it's only like the past uh, seven, eight years um, that I got into hockey analytics. <laughs> and I remember, man, I think it was, I think, uh, I forgot his name now. He was like the one of the big, first big hockey guys. And he ended up working for the Edmonton Oilers. And I forgot his name right now. But, um, and, uh, but he said he wrote an article in The Athletic, you know, this after his Edmonton days, where he's like, every time I, 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 watch the sport the same things happen yeah it's like different people but the same <laughs> things happen and it's like yeah again like the the old school narrative is like of uh of individualism and it's right. probably not as close to that okay um a couple more football stuff yep last off season you worked on blank and now <laughs> yeah and now you are you now that you've worked on whatever it is, are you seeing it like now that, Oh my God, I see it now. Every time, every time I look, I see it. Yeah. So the biggest thing for me this past off season was um, the revelation late last year about LSU, just my whole, like the spread life cycle is complete. Like LSU completed it last year. They they've officially finished off the spread revolution. It is now the college football offense. It is the default college football offense. It's the default pro style offense. And whereas spread used to be a change up that teams would do if they didn't have like the right personnel or whatever. Now, anything else is a change up. That was just kind of the revelation I had. So in the off season, I wrote a big piece in May, a couple pieces about you know, well, exploring that idea, talking to, you know, the Kevin Wilson's and Rich Rodriguez's and whatnot. I, I thought it turned out really well. Then we wrote a companion piece that was super fun. Just the, like what I called the 25 most important games yeah, of the spread revolution. Super fun, yeah. Had so, That was one of the more fun things I've written in a while. So that was kind of, that was like the, the big fence post of this dumb off season that, you know, I, then I, then I went off and became a German soccer beat writer for a couple of weeks because everything was stupid. <laughs> we, but, we all, we all did for about a month. Of course. So. But um, that was intended to be the big fence post piece of the, of the off season. And, it, and I thought it turned out well. And so then I started asking myself the rest of the off season, I didn't write all that much about it, but just like, okay, so what now then? Like, if this is like the end of the revolution, what happens now? And I figured a big part of it would be like, I should really take care to watch tight ends and slot receivers this mm, year, because I think they're coming back. <laughs> well, I think those are, I didn't say this about the pros for a couple of years, but basically like, I think you can still scheme those guys open. If the whole idea is that, you know, the, the, the quote unquote spread is the base offense of college football. And therefore the, the best defense to defend that is now the base defense. Um, you know, you can't really scheme, wide outs open all that well, but you can probably still get yeah. the ball to tight ends in interesting ways. You can still get the, the Kenny Gainwells. I of course didn't get to see Kenny Gainwell this year, um, but using well, him as it, a both Justin Jefferson, not yeah. that he isn't a great player. Clearly he's turned out to be a great uh, yeah. receiver, oh, yeah. but that's, th he just lived in the slot last year. Yeah. Um, and, and a, a position that he didn't, you know, he played outside in 2018 and in 2019, they moved him to the slot. 
and you can just find ways to get him right. the football. Yeah. Obviously his talent takes over in some spaces, but you can just find ways to get him the football. Yeah. And, um, and, and so I, I wanted to watch that. I wanted, I was calling them like the Kenny Gain, Gainwell all-stars in my head. And then that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> but you know, the, the running back slash sl slot guy, the tight yeah. end that can yeah. line up in every single spot on the field. Um, Sean Dykes in Memphis, for instance, um, obviously Kyle Pitts, that one goes without saying, but, um, you know, I really wanted to watch that, and, but it's something like the, the fire hose that once it starts spraying in season, yeah. I don't get to write as nearly as much as I wanted to. Plus this being the dumbest fire hose of all time. I really haven't, <laughs> but that is something I've been keeping an eye on. I want to figure out how to write about it. Just like the little tweaks that come now. Um, if it's not necessarily quite as much about scheme as it used to, then matchups matter more. Yeah. Um, and, and specific little instances of scheme, uh, within the big systems, those end up mattering a lot more. There was a video circulating like 10 years ago, something like that, of Calvin McGee, who I'm sure you know was uh, oh. is Rich Rod's yeah. right-hand man basically throughout all these years. And I, I, I believe he went to, went to a, a smaller school, maybe like a D2 school or something like that, to give a clinic. And this is in the heyday or just... just I must be around that time when, when you know, West Virginia is killing everybody. Right. And his thing was like, even back then, his thing was, if we can find that guy, that Y, that tight end, mm -hmm. who we can line up there as a normal tight end and get into some interesting run schemes because we have that extra player there. But then with tempo, just right. say, okay, now we're in spread. You know, now we're in yep. two by two spread and he just walks out and then he can play that position. Even 10 years ago, he was saying, like, we yep. need this guy. And I think he might have said the same thing with, the, you know, they used to call it the S back, the super back, which was, uh, <laughs> right. you know, uh, Montreal Alouette legend, Noel Devine's position at, uh, <laughs> at West Virginia. But, uh, and then moving him around and doing stuff like that. I think that's always, always probably one of the more fascinating things. I, one of my favorite things I've had, it, I've done, I've had this experience like three times now is getting Kevin Wilson talking about the 2008 OU offense. Um, that is still a kind of the platonic ideal to me. Um, just the, 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 the team that scored, what was it? Six straight games of 60 plus points and everything. Uh, just the, the most unreal. And then they get rusty and they blow two red zone opportunities. And they lose to Florida, but um let me see if I can pull up the quote. It was, it just, it gets my, like it, when he was talking about it, it got me excited all over again. Cause it, it still felt kind of new. Um, so let's see. 62, yeah. 66, 65, 61, 62. So this is from that, Pretty that spread thing. piece. He said, uh, I got hired at Oklahoma because Bob wanted to run a little bit more. And we had that leech style passing that we kind of morphed into the spread game, a spread run game. I think that's where it kind of took off 15, 20 years ago. You were either throwing the ball every play like air raid, or you were basically a quarterback option attack. Uh, over time, you could do both. He basically, he said he was talking to Kirk Herbstreet before the year started. Um, just kind of a check-in kind of call. And he was like, you know, I think we got some, I think we got some things here. You know, they had Jermaine Grisham, they had DeMarco Murray, uh, they had Brody Eldridge, kind of the old school H-back that they are bringing back, actually. I'm kind of excited about Mikey yeah. Washington there at, uh, at OU. But um, as he put it, like, we can go to, from little to big without substituting and we can go really fast. Uh, the, so they could use every formation uh, faster than the defense could handle 
whatever, because they weren't given the defense a time to sub, they could just constantly create matchup issues. Yeah. And so much of it had to do, I mean, Murray was great, but their receivers were only okay on that team. It was like, well, Keenan Iglesias and whatnot. I, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's like, you know, Ryan Burrells was supposed to be a, supposed to be a guy. And it never, I don't think he, he was really like a freshman. He was like a freshman that year too. Okay, I think. So okay, he was, yeah. he was only so much of a contributor. Yeah, one walking Iglesias. And I don't even remember Chris Brown. I don't even remember that guy. He was like the lead running back. Yeah, he was uh, he was a decent little run pass guy. He was fine. He was a fine running back. Murray was even hurt at the end of the year, which certainly didn't help against Florida. But so much of it was just Gresham and Eldridge and constant big little matchups that that just tortured teams. Chris Brown. 1,329 yards from scrimmage. DeMarco Murray, their other their quote unquote backup running back, uh, 1,400 yards from scrimmage. Yeah. So I said that's pretty good. DeMarco Murray, by the way, the best, one of the best high school tapes you can watch yeah. uh, in uh, in Las Vegas, right? The big school he, there. I forgot the name. He, he never, like, he, they, oh, you never quite got that. His freshman year, he was just a little, oh, I think he got hurt. And then he just wasn't, it was just taking him a little while. And then he finally gets up to speed and immediately gets hurt in the Big 12 title game in 08. Um, and so, yeah, they never really quite, it never quite clicked for him, uh, at OU. He still did very, very well, obviously. Um, all right. Uh, Bill Connolly, where can the people find you? Uh, Twitter, uh, ESPN underscore Bill C, uh, please, please subscribe to ESPN plus. Uh, obviously there has been a big, uh, kind of shift in that regard for ESPN this year, but you know, I, I never want to tell people how to spend their money, but you will get your $7 a month or whatever it is. You'll get that out of an ESPN plus subscription and you'll get my stuff. There you go. You heard it from the man himself. Uh, thanks for joining us on the PFF college football podcast. Thank you. And so, yeah, that's it. That's me and Bill talking, talking, sh- talking shop, talking sports. Um, I had a lot of fun talking to him. He actually let me write on his website um, uh, three years ago, four years ago. And I'm not so sure I did a great job, but he still likes me. So I, I did probably did something right. Um, and yeah, that's that's Bill. The, um, great talk with him and uh, hope you enjoyed it and I'll see you guys next week.